this morning we're wrapping up our series today called Roots. And um, we, we decided to go back and look at the very beginning, the roots of our Christian faith. And so what better way to do that than to crack open our word at Genesis chapter 1 and see what God God's intention was with this creation, what we can learn from it, and what our roots tell us about our relationship with him and what we can learn from it. In week one, um, we talked about the idea of the roots that give us wings. And it says in the very beginning that God spoke, let there be light. And it was God's spoken word that, that created all that we see and all that we experience here. And that word that was spoken brought forth a few things. It brought forth light. What does light do? It exposes dark places. God's word brought creativity. I mean, you think about the animals and the things that he did in those first few days and, and, and the, the life that was spoken forth. And, and it brought safety. It brought power. That God's word, his spoken word brought those things then. And, and his spoken word today can bring those exact same things in our lives today. How many of you would be honest to, to say with me this morning, Jared, yeah, my week felt a little chaotic this last week. Anybody? Yeah, last night. Man, my kid beat me up last night. Just wore me out. And I just, and it, it's been like four or five, this parenting stuff, it is hard. I mean, people like tried to warn us beforehand, but you just don't know until you're holding that little dude and you're bargaining with them in the middle of the night. What do I have to give you to make you sleep? And tears are like streaming out the side. Please just help me help you say something. Do something. Signal. Your diaper's fine. You don't want to eat anything. You just, you just want to annoy me. And I don't understand why you're doing this. Anybody ever been there before trying to figure it out? It's crazy and it's chaotic and, and, and it's just, it's chaos. But, but God's word, his spoken word brings, brings safety and brings, brings organization to life. You know, his spoken word, Second Timothy says that God's word is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and it's alive and living. And, and so that word then can bring the same things to our lives now. That his word brings light to dark places. That as we live in a dark world, but God can expose that world with his light and bring life and power. God's word brings creativity. Have you ever looked at God and said, God, what are you up to? I don't get it. I don't, man, where did that come from, God? And it's creativity that comes from him. And that word then can bring the same thing to our lives now. And if that's true, if we have this spoken word of God in his Bible, then, then we should crack it open from time to time, knock off the dust and dig in and see, what do you have for me today? If it's alive and living and well and it brings power and creativity and life and power and order from chaos, then we have a, a responsibility to dig into and allow it to saturate our lives, and to measure our life by it and to be committed to it. So God's spoken word was our first week, and it's the root that gives us the ability to, to really live life to its fullest. In the second week, we talked about the idea that we were created in his image. And so we asked the question, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? If we were creating God's image, then, then that means that we have value. We have purpose. We have beauty, and we were created for eternity. 
if you've ever thought, man, what, 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 am, what in the world am I here for? Well, God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for you. And, and it, it may not make sense. You may not understand it. It may be a little bit outside of your, your current realm of understanding. But there is, there is a purpose for every single one of us. That you have value. Ephesians says that we are God's masterpiece. Da Vinci and Monet have nothing on the creation of God in you. That just the way that you are, God created you with extreme, unlimited, unbelievable value. I mean, think about how do we set value for something? We set value by what someone's willing to pay for it. You know, the value of, of my phone is... Is, is not what someone wants to sell it for, but it's what someone's willing to buy it for, what they're willing to hand over to, to purchase that from me, right? That's the value of something. And we think about every single one of our lives and the fact that God gave his son for you and for me, that gives you crazy value in this world. Because what he was willing to sacrifice to purchase you and to redeem you and to save you is... If you're created in his image, you, you, have, you have high value. You are beautiful, just the way that you are. And you're created for eternity. This world, it's not all there is. Thank goodness that when we take our last breath here, we take a new one in, in eternity in heaven, and we experience it for all that God... This, this life is just preparing us for our next... So, we are created in His image. Last week, we looked a little bit further. We discovered that not only were we created in His image, but, but when God created man, He looked at man and He said this, it's not good for man to be alone. I mean, from that point on, like the first few days, it's good, it's good, it's good. This light, this power, this separation between air and earth and water and, and these animals and this land and these birds and these fish, all these things, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then, and then the scripture says that God created man and he knows that man was alone and he said this, it's not good. And so he created Eve out of Adam. And, and Eve was, is, is his helpmate that was supposed to, that, 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 that fulfilled those broken places of his life. We were created for community. We were interlocking roots. Why? Why do we need each other? Well, we, we, lead, we need each other for emotional support. We need each other because I'm not perfect on my own. There are things that I don't know and I don't understand. And you help provide those things for me. We were, we learn and we grow best from each other. People speaking into our lives along with God's Holy Spirit helping us and exposing us and teaching us. And, and we grow best in the sense of community and accountability. That I am at my best when there's someone walking beside me in life saying, hey, I got your back. And I'm going to help you to overcome these areas. And we, we need that support from one another. We, we need each other to understand God better. Here's the thing. I know a lot about the Bible, right? The Bible school, I read it, I study it, I teach it. But there's, there's only so much that I've experienced about God. I have a very limited life. And some of you have experienced different things about the Father. And your experiences, along with my experiences, help me to understand God's grace and God's mercy and God's faithfulness and God's truth in a better and fulfilling way. 
When I journey along somebody and I say, tell me about what God has done for you and through you, that helps me become a better person and to understand God fuller. Now, we, we listen to these messages and we listen about community and, and support and power and safety and how we have value and we're creating His image. And we look around and we say, where did it all go wrong? I mean, this is, we live in a jacked up world. It, it's not like this. I mean, it takes a lot to experience these things and we have to surrender our lives. The world is not naturally like this. Why? If that's how God created it, why isn't it like that? And that's a good question. And that's what we're talking about today. The root of the problem. The root of the problem is sin. And the fact that Adam and Eve messed it all up in the very beginning, and it infected and it affected the world then, and it still does today. So if you have your notes, pull them out of your bulletin, and read along with me. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. And we're going to look about this original sin that took place and how it's messed up the world. This is what it says. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the gar- from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die." Well, one of the interesting things is that God never told her that she couldn't touch it. He just said you can't eat from it, which is interesting that she took it a step further and and try to make God's command something different than what it originally was. So it says, you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent says this, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard from the sound of the Lord, excuse me, and the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You might want to underline that, that they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Circle those words. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. You know, if you grew up in the church like I did, like way back when, when they were talking about original sin, probably you heard from the pulpit and it kind of brought a little bit of laughter. You know, that that sin, if you just want to remain sin-free, then just don't do this. Don't drink, don't dance, don't curse, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. Anybody heard that, you know, back in the day? Don't drink, don't dance, don't curse, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. And I would add, and don't go to movies, because that was bad too back in the day. And that, when you were a kid with your limited understanding, that was sin, right? You don't do those things. Lying and cheating and murder, you know, the biggies, the Ten Commandments. You don't break those, because that's where sin is. 
But if you look at the scripture, it's deeper than that. If you look at it originally, what was the sin that captured Eve's heart? It's when the serpent said, you will be like God. You'll be like God. You'll run your own lives. You'll be in charge. The truth is, is that's still the problem with sin today. Sin, ultimately, is our desire to be God. And the truth is, we all have it. And we all battle it. Romans, Paul says this in Romans 3.23, For all, say it with me, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Of God. Now, how many of you are willing to admit that that all may include you too? Anybody? Show a hand. Yeah. We all. We all fall short. We all mess up. We all sin. We all, we all miss the mark. We all don't get it right all the time. And what's the problem with that? What, what does sin create in our lives? Here's just a few thoughts. The, sin is the problem behind these things. Just a few ideas. One, sin's the problem behind, beside our unsatisfied lives. It's the pursuit of more. Eve, I mean, think about this. Eve is in paradise. It's called paradise for a reason. I mean, no pain, no sickness. God looks at Eve and he says, and Adam, and he says, all that you see here is yours. You own it all. You control it all. You manage it all. I'm putting you a caretaker and all. You can eat all of it except one thing. Don't eat from that one tree and you'll be perfectly fine. And what do they do? I mean, it's like a toddler, right? You tell a kid, you can play with anything in this house, but this one thing, and what's the one thing they're going to go for? The thing that you told them not to get to. Like when I was a kid, we had the, the remote control that was corded up to the TV. That's how you change the channel. Anybody remember that type of TV? And my dad said, you can have anything, you can play with anything in the house, but you just don't touch that, that's dad's. And what's the one thing that I had to touch and I had to play with? And my dad would say, hey, when you break that, then you become the remote control. You're going to be up changing the channel and flipping the little knob on the front because this is it. And I'm not getting up, but I had to touch it. I had to know. Dad told me not to do it and I had to do it. Because yeah, I'm broken. I'm messed up. And we all are. We all are. It's our unsatisfied lives. What we have is not enough. So we go for more and more and more and more and we wreck our lives getting it. I mean, it's the problem with adultery, right? You make a commitment to one person. You say, I'm going to be there with the rest of your life and all others. And we get unsatisfied. We start looking, behaving and talking. and The next thing you know, we're on a journey that we never meant to go down. It's unsatisfied lives. It's not enough. It's wanting what you shouldn't have. It's a problem. Sin, it's a problem behind our addictions. Our addictions, why? Our addictions make us feel better. They medicate problems in our lives. They help us to feel like we're in control. But the truth is, this addiction is a lack of control. We turn to the addiction instead of turning to God. It's the problem behind sin. It's addiction. Sin is the problem behind our relationship struggles. You guys know the scripture where two or three are gathered together, there will be a fight? That's not really in the Bible. But it feels like that, right? 
The scripture says when two or three are gathered together, there God is also. But, but, but we, if we're two or three are gathered together, it's going to be a fight. You get people together and we just bump into each other and we rub each other the wrong way. That's just the way it is. When you look at the original text, what's hilarious about this with Adam and Eve, God looks at Adam and he says, what, what happened? What did you do? And what is Adam's response? He says, that woman. Not only is it that woman's fault, but God, it's your fault because it's that woman that you gave me. God looks at Eve and says, what happened? And she says, it's the serpent's fault. He tempted me. It's the relationship struggles. Sin. Sin, it makes us focus on ourself. And that's the problem. Selfishness. Selfishness is the problem behind relationship struggles. It's about me. It's about my needs. It's about what I get out of things. God says that we're supposed to be about others. And loving others and fulfilling others and caring for others. What did they see when they started looking at themselves? That they were naked. That they were exposed. They felt like they were lacking something. Sin's a problem. It's behind relationship struggles. Here's the last thought. Sin, it's a problem behind our societal ills. This might step on a toe or two, and I'm sorry if it does. But the problem with our world today isn't who we do or do not elect. It's not the problem. The problem's sin. It doesn't matter who we would have elected. We would have had the same problem. Because we're all full of sin. Selfishness, greed, power, war, death, control. It all goes back to sin. It goes on and on. It all goes back to sin. You turn on any channel and you watch what's happening in our country across the world, you're like, what in the world is wrong with us? It's It's sin. It's not our current president. It's not our Congress. It's not our our mayors, our governors. That's not the problem. Our problem is sin in us as people. And if we would deal with that sin, it wouldn't matter what anybody else decided because we would be loving people the way God intended. And that would change the game completely. Sin, it's a problem behind our societal ills. See, when you look at the text... What was Adam and Eve's response to that sin? What did they do? They were exposed. They sinned. They realized it. Then they did what? They hid from God. They ran. The beautiful thing is, is that when we run from God, God runs to us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God looked and he said, man, my kids are so far from me. They are running from me and I'm going to run to them. I'm going to send my very own son and sacrifice his life as the atonement for sin so that they might be redeemed and restored. What if instead of running from God, we begin to run to God? What if we ran to God to find forgiveness for the guilt of our sin? What if? You see, every culture has some sort of sacrificial sacrificial system to make them and God better. 
if they do certain things on this earth and live a certain way or sacrifice certain animals or give up certain possessions or whatever it is, if they did these type of things, then their guilt would be forgiven. In Christianity, it's not that way. We don't sacrifice. God sacrificed for us. There's a, I found this story online. This kid named Jesse James, I think. Is that, is that his name? Yeah, Jesse Jacobs, not James. Jesse Jacobs. He was a sophomore in college, and he, he had just some going through some stuff, and he had some guilt in his life, and he realized that this issue of guilt really plagues people. And so he created a 1-800 hotline for people to call in to confess their sins. And uh, he just had this idea. He purchased a 1-800 number, and he got an answer machine, and basically the answer machine says, you know, what would you like to confess? And then people, and he started putting ads in the back of newspapers and pamphlets and magazines, and people started calling. And he said it was kind of crazy, the type of stuff that people would call and confess. They would call and confess the fact that they were embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars from their employers. They would call to confess affairs and the fact that they were cheating on people. They were calling to confess that they were abusers. He said it was absolutely unreal and crazy. He, he, he said, I just wanted to give people a sense of relief. Because when you can get stuff off your chest, you begin to feel better. Well, the writer of this article you know, said, this is kind of strange. And so she started, she went to a priest and a few other psychologists and counselors. And she said, is this a good thing? Is this a good thing that people are finding release from guilt in this way? And every single one of the experts says it's not. Because it's not really relieving any kind of guilt. You know, you, you, if you're Catholic, you go to confession and you, you confess to the priest. But then usually, he said, whenever a person confesses to me, I usually encourage that person to make it right with that other person and confess it with them. Especially if you've hurt or offended somebody. It's not just enough to confess to God, but you need to restore that relationship. You need to make it right. You need to make amends. You need to restore things. But there was this idea that this kid had that this answer machine in some way could release people of guilt. And it's absolutely insane and crazy. Because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's only one place that we can find forgiveness and release from our guilt, and that's God. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So God is saying, look, if you think you've got it all together and you haven't sinned, you're wrong. You're wrong and the truth isn't in you. But listen to what he does say. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to purify us. Some of you are thinking, but Jared, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did to my spouse years ago. You've been living with guilt ever since. You don't know what I did as a teenager and you've been living with guilt ever since. You don't know what I said last night to my wife in a moment of anger. You don't know, you know, what I thought about my husband. You don't know how I wanted to just put my kid in a sleeper hold last night and just rock him gently to sleep. Shh, it's going to be okay. You just don't know. He does. And the scripture says, it's really clear, if you confess, he is faithful to forgive. It's hard to believe that we can be forgiven, but we can be. Here's the second thought, is that we run to God not only to relieve the guilt, 
but to heal the consequences. You see, James Knox, he robbed a bank. Um, he robbed it. He was 52 years old, and he was just convicted and sentenced. Um, this was in 2008 to 14 years in prison. He uh, he went into I think the name of the bank was the Kitsap Bank a branch in Gig Harbor, Washington, and um, he went up to the teller and he he basically said, Hey, I have a gun. Um, I'm robbing you. I don't know if you just say I'm robbing you, but somehow give me your money, right? And uh, and then when the when the teller next to her kind of hesitated, he put his hand in his pocket and it looked like he had a weapon. And so of course she started giving him all this money. But the thing is, is that what he didn't realize is that when she was giving him money, she also gave him a little tracking device that he put inside the back. James Knox had a biking helmet on. I guess that was his disguise. And when he went outside, he jumped on a bike and took off riding. And, I, and, and, some, and then he jumped off the bike and he got into his car and he went on and he, and he drove off thinking that he was going to get away. Went to a bike, to a car, and no one was following him. Then all of a sudden the police show up. He's like, "Where? Well, how did this happen? And he went on a 52-mile chase. He got away from him for a little bit, jumped out of the car, and ran into the forest of Washington, just to be found a few minutes later and tased and taken to prison. He was sentenced to 14 years in prison. Here's the thing about James, though, is that James was just released from prison 10 days earlier after spending 10 years in prison for robbing the exact same bank. The exact same bank, 10 years before, spent 10 years in prison. Now he's going to 14 years in prison, and then he's going to spend three years after that in supervised life. And the judge is just saying, look, you are a threat to society. A quarter of his life, if he lives to 100, will be behind bars because of the same choice he made over and over and over. It's a consequence of sin. Here's the thing, though is that there are consequences to the choices that we make. Prison, penalties, hurt, broken relationships. There are consequences. And God wants to heal those too. Sometimes the healing doesn't come instantaneous, but God wants to heal those too. There's a story that I've talked about a few times over the last few weeks. It's a parable of the lost son. It's found in Luke chapter 15. And Jesus tells this story because... A few um, religious rulers were making comments about the fact he could, they couldn't understand why he would spend time with those type of people, sinners and tax collectors, and why he would eat and fellowship with them. And Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 15 um, about why he has chosen to be with these type of people. And he says, a father has two sons. The younger son approached the father and he said, hey, um, I want my inheritance. Basically, he's looking at his dad and he says, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I'm leaving home. And the father does. He gives him his inheritance. He leaves home and he goes off. And the scripture says he spends it on wild living. And he lives a wild life in a faraway land. And when all of his money has run up by his supposed friends, unfortunately, a famine hits the exact same moment that he's out of money. And now the land is in famine and he's broke and all his friends have left him and deserted him. And he finds himself in a pigsty taking care of pigs. And the scripture says that he, he looks down at the, at the pods or the slop that he's feeding these pigs and he says, man, I am so hungry thinking about eating that. Now, that's a pretty desperate place, right? To look at pig slop and say, I, I, think, I think I'm going to eat that. The scripture says that he remembers that his father's servants live a better life than that. So he says, what if I return home? 
What if I return home and ask my dad to take me as one of his servants? I can live a better life that way. That's what we pick up in your notes in Luke chapter 15, verse 21 through 24. The scripture says that as he's returning home, his father's standing him at the gate. And when he sees him, the scripture says from a long way off, the father runs to him. I mean, picture that. An old man running to his son when his son is still a long ways off. The son says to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he doesn't even see value and worth in himself anymore. I, I, don't, I can't even be called your son anymore. But the father said to his servants, quick, not tomorrow, not when you've earned it or when you've shown me that you've, that you've changed. No, he says, quick, right now, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandal on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now don't miss the significance. He says, bring a robe. Put it on him. I'm taking off that junky, mud-filled stuff. I'm going to put you on something fresh. And clean. He says, not only a robe, you know that ring that you used to have that symbolizes a part of my family? We're going to give you a new one. This ring, you're restored. You're not just a servant. You're not one of my slaves. You're my son. Get sandals for his feet. You are restored. God wasn't just, or the father just wasn't just taking him back into the family. He's saying, I'm, I'm healing you. I'm restoring you. I'm welcoming you home. I'm rebuilding your life. You're my son. Nothing changes that. The Father does the same for us. When we come back to him, he puts on a robe. He slips on a ring says, you're my daughter. I claim you as mine. I'm putting sandals on your feet. You're going to be weary no more. You are back where you belong. You're home. You're my child. And I love you. Now sometimes the consequences, sometimes there's a little pain that we have to go through. Sometimes there's a little restoration of relationships that has to take place. But between us and God, it's restored. God heals all things. So we run to God to heal the consequences of our sin. And here's the last thought. Is that we run to God for the power to overcome sin. Think how different this world may be or the story may be if Adam and Eve would have ran to God instead of from him. What if even Adam just said, hey God, you know, I don't know what's going on. This serpent thing, it talks too. <laughs> it's a little bit weird. We don't know what to do with this. Instead of running from him, instead of doing their own thing, what if they would have ran towards him and say, God, man, we're about to blow it. Help us. Help us to overcome. And that's what God does. There is a power available to us. We don't have to live in sin any longer. We can overcome. We don't have to be slaves. There's a power available to us to overcome those dark places in our lives. Look at the scripture, Romans 5.17. This is what Paul writes. 
He says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many for all time. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. You see, Adam brought death to us through his choice. But Jesus brought life and triumph to us over his. We run to Jesus. Galatians 3.13, Paul writes it this way. He says, when he was hung on a cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. I just asked this morning, what tree do you want to be under? Which tree? It's the tale of two trees. Do you want to live under the tree of garden? the tree of sin, the tree of temptation, the tree of of death? Or or do you want to live underneath the tree of Jesus, the tree of the cross, where you'll find forgiveness from that? It's your choice. You can live in triumph, or you can live overcome. Which do you choose?